Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Some days I feel like Jan Brady, except instead of Marsha, 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 it's index funds, index funds, index funds. As much as I love index funds, it's so tiresome constantly hearing that they're the only intelligent way to invest. That is simply not true. And after a roller coaster of a day where the Dow ultimately dipped 40 points, S&P declined 0.36, but NASDAQ lost 0.72%. Sell, 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 sell. I'm going to prove it to you. I've said this before. It's going to work. I'm going to repeat it again. A low-cost S&P 500 index fund is a great way to get exposure to the greatest wealth creator of our time, the stock market. Although the bond market's been giving a pretty good run for the money. Now, if you don't have much capital and you're just trying to save for retirement, please put that money in an index fund. Imagine if I came out every night and just said, hi, I'm Jim Cramer. Buy index funds. See you tomorrow. I mean, I guess I could do that. But if I really believed in them, and I do, I also think that there's more to it. See, because if you've got some mad money, hence the show, to play with or invest, if you're mad at me about saying play, you can get better returns from owning a diversified portfolio of 5 to 10 stocks as long as you're willing to do the homework alongside that index fund. Plus, when you really nail a stock pick, you get that joyous feeling of winning the lottery. And I think this lottery is very much rigged in your favor. Think of it as an extra incentive to invest in the market rather than spending your money on something fun. Hey, I like that. You want some examples? All right, boy, we had it. Today was the day. Just look at the action in the healthcare sector where we had some huge winners. This morning, totally out of nowhere, we learned that Biogen seeking FDA approval for a potentially groundbreaking Alzheimer's drug. What did the stock do? It shot up 26% for the owners of a chunk of this company. What made this so shocking? Like many other drug companies, Biogen's been working on an Alzheimer's treatment for years. Listen, this is the holy grail of medicine, people. Everybody. Everybody's been searching for it. No one ever finds it. Johnson & Johnson failed. Pfizer failed. Eli Lilly failed. And earlier this year, it looked like Biogen had failed, too. In March, they halted their late-stage trial for this thing, a drug that might be able to slow the progress of Alzheimer's, which would be huge for the 5 million Americans sufferers from the disease. But how about for everybody else who's deadly, deathly afraid of getting it? But earlier today, in one of the most astounding turnabouts, I mean, truly, I would have devoted the whole, my whole morning show about this. David Faber and I talked to this with Carl. It's really turning turn about Biogen tells that they've done a new analysis and the drug's working. Long duration, high dose administration is giving us all the right signs. Better cognition, improved ability to handle what are known as the activities of daily life, household chores, independently traveling, personal finance. So Biogen's resuming its trials after meeting with the FDA, first in June and again uh, yesterday. Yet the FDA is encouraging them to proceed with these studies. In other words, it's not 
the company doing it. It's the FDA saying, hey, green light. This could be a game changer for anyone with Alzheimer's. If this thing works and the side effects are minimal, it could be the easily, I'm saying right now, the biggest drug in history. A blockbuster to end all blockbusters. This is exactly when I get off the desk with CEOs of the pharmaceutical industry. They all say it can't be done. You can't reverse the plaque. No wonder Biogen's stock caught fire. And I think it might have more room to run. So many analysts, so many analysts got burned when Biogen suspended the last clinical trial after saying they thought the things were pretty good, that they're gun shy. Almost all of them rate the stock. Oh, they're two prominent cells. While Biogen's had a big move here, you know, it's still down more than 50 points from where it was trading in March. That seems wrong to me. Biogen's profitable. It suddenly got a new major catalyst. I'm betting some of these analysts who will be forced to upgrade the stock to a buy. And when they do, this one's going to go higher, maybe a lot higher. I bring this up because lightning's never going to strike that index fund of yours. It struck Biogen. Never. Of course, you also won't get crushed by any huge losers. I'm going to asterisk that, like what happened to Biogen in March. But if you're willing to do the homework, I believe the odds of picking winners outweigh the odds of ending up with a loser, again, alongside your index fund. Even without the new drug, Biogen was worth owning. It's a very profitable company, good balance sheet, a couple of terrific franchises, including some excellent multiple sclerosis drugs. That's why I think the move isn't over. But maybe uh, new drug data is a little too random for your taste. So let me give you a more gettable example. There's a guy we have on all the time on the show. His name's Michael Nidorf. I like him. Real charitable fellow, too. He's the CEO of Centene. It's a managed care company that handles government-sponsored health plans. I bring him on because he's the most informative executive I know when it comes to the incredibly difficult world that is health care. And also because, of course, his stock is incredibly cheap. Today, Centene reported a fine quarter, and it rallied. To, not initially, because people are so stupid. Some people are more stupid. My mother would say, don't tell everyone, say everyone's stupid. That's not fair. It's a... 34 years of wisdom there. I think it's got a lot more room to run. Centene's totally domestic. And unlike the other managed care names, it's a winner under any healthcare system other than a single payer. Now, as I've told you before, even if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders end up in the White House, I doubt they have the votes in Congress to pass single payer. There are just too many moderate Democratic senators who don't want to upend the whole healthcare system. Take Medicare for all off the table. And Centene's got, well, let's just say a fabulous runway. Fabulous. Finally, there's Uber Kramer fave Bristol Myers. For ages, we've heard that Merck's big cancer immunotherapy drug, Keytruda, was beating the stuffing out of Bristol's cancer immunotherapy drug, Opdivo. But today, Bristol Myers reviewed some clinical trial data that showed Opdivo taking together with another one of their drugs, Yervoy, can extend the lives of patients with untreated lung cancer. This means the future is looking a lot brighter for Opdivo than people thought until today. To me, this gives you one more reason to like Bristol Myers going into his transformational acquisition with Celgene. Yet the stock sells at 12 times next year's earnings, even after today's 2% run? Are you kidding me? I've been like a broken record in this one. Urging you to trust CEO Giovanni Cafario and buy the darn stock. With these new Optivo results, a brilliant management team, and the Celgene deal, I think Bristol Myers can perform a lot better than SP 500 Index Fund Plus. Hey, 3% yield? What's the matter with that? Oh, and if you're worried about a slowdown in the economy, don't you think Bristol Myers is exactly what you should be buying? Concerned about a trade war? Buy Bristol Mars. Unsettled by Brexit? Buy Bristol Mars. Skeptical that the Fed will keep cutting interest rates? Buy Bristol Mars. Now, again, I love index funds. I love index funds. I love the index fund. I love index funds. Marsha! Everyone should have some index fund exposure in their retirement account. But if you want to hit big, well, it's also good to try to pick some individual stocks alongside of those index funds. Stocks like Biogen or Centene. 
I think they both have more upside, as does Bristol-Myers. I could say the same thing about Procter Gable or Disney, but neither of them is cheap. Of course, you can also end up owning losers. I know the good news for Bristol-Myers was, yes, bad news for Merkel. I think when they report, it's going to be a pretty good number. Hasbro is one of the biggest losers today. More on that later. But even after today's vicious 16% decline, it's still up 23% for the year. Hey, not so bad. Oh, and notice I did not pick any stocks with economic sensitivity or trade war issues. Just tonight, we got news from Texas Instruments. It's all the weakness across the board. That was ugly. It brought down the whole semi uh, uh, cohort in the after uh, hours. Uh, those stocks are often too hard to own, although I think Texas Instruments overdid it on the gloom. But the ones I mentioned, I know with a little homework, these gains can be yours. And I do believe they will outweigh the losses, and they'll be a nice, uh, let's just say, a sidekick, okay? Sidekick to hedge to uh, index funds. Bottom line, I don't blame anyone who lacks the time or inclination to put in the homework that's necessary if you're going to own individual stocks. But if you do have the time, if you're willing to do the work, why not try to beat the averages with a biogen or a centene or a Bristol Myers? Tom in Illinois, Tom. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course, Tom. Uh, Jim, I bought some shares of Viacom B, thinking that the, uh, the merger between CBS and Viacom would help uh, bring up both shares. And uh, obviously, it hasn't been the case. And I'm wondering, what is your feeling on this merger? And also, what is your feeling on Viacom B? Is it still hanging on to it for now? Or what do you think? Tom, you can't see the show, but I have a dunce cap on. And the reason I do that is because I, too, like Viacom. I bought it for my charitable trust, and I feel like a complete idiot. I should be sentenced to be in the corner, and I should also have to write on the blackboard a thousand times, I am an idiot because I recommended Viacom, and my charitable trust has been hurt. I, too, felt that CBS-Viacom would be a potent and, and really powerful combination. It's obviously not worked. I'm not going to sell it because it's too cheap down here. But let's just say I'm going to have to spend this whole darn period with my dunce cap on. Thank you for the call. Josh in North Carolina. Josh. Booyah, Jim, from the Tar Heel State. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you? I am doing great. Jim, the company I wanted to ask you about today is Northrop Grumman. Uh, I like it. Lots of innovation. Uh, I think they've got the cutting edge on a lot of things, but my concern is a pullback in defense spending by the U.S. government. What are your thoughts? Okay, listen, you went, you're from North Carolina? Why do you want to pick, why do you want to pick, pick a, a running back who sees, who's on a team with a quarterback who sees ghosts? I want you to buy Christian McCaffrey. Who's Christian McCaffrey? It's United Technologies. Stick with the program. All right, as long as you're willing to do the homework, you can really feel like you're winning the lottery with the right stock picks. How about the Biojet, right? How about the Centene? How about the Bristle Mars? Just look at today's winners. Oh, man, money tonight. Trouble in the toilet? Wow, Hasbro took a tumble today. Wasn't that not nasty? I'm going to sit down with the CEO. He comes on even if it's a bad day. Then, is Beyond Meat, as great as it is and tasty as it is, a little too much like GoPro. And Logitech has been under pressure this year, but the stock still remains up year to date. Is it worth considering the company here after some incredible video conferencing soft uh, hardware it's introducing? You know, I got the CEO of Fresh Wolf Report. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. 
These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. I feel like I say this every quarter, but what the heck just happened with the stock of Hasbro? It's either feast or famine for these guys. This is their gigantic toy maker that I've liked so much. You know, last time Hasbro knocked it out of the park. And this time they whiffed. Stock got hammered down more than 16% today. We got to look into this. Now, last time we got the sense that they'd finally gotten over the collateral damage from the Toys R Us bankruptcy. That was a terrible, disruptive influence. This time they got hammered by the tariffs on toys made in China. Hasbro posted a major 37 cent earnings miss off a $2.21 basis with a substantial revenue shortfall. While Hasbro's license brands did very well, and there I think you went to the toys affiliates with Disney, including Marvel and Star Wars. Every other division was weaker than expected. This was a brutal quarter, and you get the sense that the trade war is really making life difficult for this fabulous company. It doesn't help that Wall Street's very skeptical of Hasbro's entertainment. One acquisition, they're shelling out $4 billion for a bunch of brands, including Peppa Pig and PJ Masks. So what do we do with the stock now that it's been just crushed? Let's check in with Brian Goldner. He's the chairman and CEO of Hasbro, who has the intestinal fortitude to speak to us every quarter during good times and bad. That's one of the reasons why I like him so much. Let's figure out what's happening. Mr. Golder, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? Well, Brian, I got to tell you, there's a part of your conference call where you actually describe what it's like for you and a retailer, given the tariffs. I know that the analysts got it. I think that if you explain it a little to our viewers, they will know that this had to do with nothing with how great Hasbro is, but everything with the way the toys are bought and sold in this country. Well, you know, we set an objective this year to get back to growth. You mentioned Toys R Us, and we're getting back to growth year to date. We're up 5%. We said we would turn our European business around, and we're doing that. Our international business was up 4%, absent FX, with strong growth in Latin America and Asia Pacific. And then we've talked throughout the year how tariffs could have an impact, whether or not they were deployed or enacted because of the way we go to market using an asset light system with our retailers. In essence, our retailers ship in product on a direct import basis, and we ship in product uh, domestically. As tariffs are being considered, and just through the third quarter, we saw several times conversation, communication, and, and elements that would say tariffs were coming, our retailer canceled those direct import orders, and then we brought them in domestically, those same inventories, except the inventory is sitting in Asia waiting for a direct import pickup, and we have to bring it in domestically through our supply chain. So in July and August, we saw shipments down. In September, we saw shipments rise appreciably, and our supply chain, working with a third-party provider, an asset light model, we weren't able to bring in all the product that we had intended to bring in, and we continue to work through this process. Going forward, after fourth quarter 2019, our teams, like we always do, address these issues in real time. We have a way to go forward with our retailers where tariffs, whether they're enacted or not, will not have an impact on our business. But in the short term, it did have an impact, and uh, we could see it in our business. We saw it in a reduction in our revenues, 
and an increase in some expenses, particularly around shipping and warehousing. And that's what we were describing today. I mean, to me, it made perfect sense to someone who's been in business and watched my dad sell toys. I know that the whole I mean, this would be something it's like a second and it was harmless. I mean, you're probably the company that's most at the front line. But I like what you said about September. I like the progression. Can you catch up, fill the order September and still hit Christmas strong? Well, look, we, we've said that uh, we've come out of the gates into the fourth quarter strongly. That our POS is showing uh, great growth. Uh, we have a number of amazing initiatives coming. Frozen 2, uh, Disney's Frozen 2 in theaters shortly. Uh, we launched on October 4th. Star Wars is launched on October 4th. We're seeing very strong growth there. Our Nerf business is uh, off to a very good start as we launched Nerf Ultra. We're seeing a number of uh, initiatives around For Real Friends and Cubby. Our Play-Doh business is up year-to-date, as is Transformers, Monopoly, and Magic the Gathering. So we, we have a number of new products coming into the holidays. We said we believe we can grow in the fourth quarter. And as we go forward, we will get through this issue related to tariffs. All right, so Brian, how much is, the, uh, is your company's bottom line or the consumer's bottom line going to be hurt by what President Trump's doing? Well, look, I I think the way to look at it, we're in an engaged conversation and we want to continue to ensure we can bring great products and play experiences to consumers all over the world. And we're doing that. We want to ensure that we're bringing those great, high quality products at the best possible price. But if tariffs are enacted, we're going to need to pass on those costs uh, to our retailers and to the consumer. We hope that it doesn't happen. The prospect of it happening has interfered with our supply chain in the short term. But longer term, the teams are already working on great plans uh, to mitigate that and then to put it behind us, as we've done so many other issues related to the changing face of retail. Now, one of the things I love about what you're doing is that we used to look at your business as a one-season business. One quarter, frankly. In the other quarters, we used to come on and say, look, look, we know they're not any good. What can you do? With the addition of Entertainment One, with the thought about storytelling, you have gotten away from episodic and are going for traditional quarter-to-quarter strength. When will people realize that that is Brian Golder's legacy? Well, part of it as well is that we're going to add a number of Hasbro-owned IPs in storytelling, from the family brand side, which is preschool, to the adult side for brands like Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons that enjoy incredible success and yet are only known to about half the world. So as you tell stories on great platforms, you raise the prospect for those brands and you take those brands out around the world. So also, as you look at those brands, Hasbro-owned IP, they make more in operating profit. We can generate consumer products. We generate toys and games. We generate digital games. And so our brands are more profitable than our partner brands. We talked about that a lot in the quarter. As our partner brands grow, it's fantastic. We want to support their brands, and we certainly have treated their brands like our brands. In fact, we prioritized their brands for this fourth quarter as we had issues getting through the domestic supply chain. And yet we don't make as much money there. So as you build a business in marriage to E1, you're able to bring more Hasbro IP, is a, along with our partner brands to the marketplace globally. And we think that's a winning solution. One last question. Do you think it would help or hurt shareholders if you withdrew guidance until this turmoil is over? Well, we don't give guidance. In the beginning of the year, 
we talk about our, our belief in the year. And right, so we right. did. And we said we could return to profitable growth. We also talked about the prospect of tariffs and what it would create. Mm -hmm. In our second quarter, with our great results, we still spent a lot of time, Deb Thomas, our CFO, talked about what tariffs could represent both the deployment as well as just the avoidance of tariffs as it would pertain to our supply chain. So we've tried to give people a lot of description. I just think people needed to understand in real time what it meant, but also that it's a short-term phenomenon and that we're going to move past this as we have other challenges that have been in front of us. We have well, a great team, and they're ready to go. Well, I'm convinced you're absolutely right, and that's why, once again, I'm so glad you came on. That's Brian Goldner, Chairman CEO of Hasbro. I talked at the top of the show about where you can make a lot of money in this market. How about buying the stocks of high-quality companies that just get completely hammered for nothing that had to do with this excellent team that Brian Goldner runs? Hasbro, man, money's back here to the break. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. And the whole market knows something's overvalued. When both the shorts and the longs agree that a stock is too high. When the lockup on insider sales is cracked before it was supposed to. Cracked before it was supposed to. Here's the only one thing that I need you to do. Run. Don't walk away from that stock. Run. And, and, and when I say that stock, I mean beyond meat. Ever since the Ersatz Burger Company announced its secondary offering, stock was trading at $222 at the end of July. It's been a nightmare. In less than three months, it's lost more than half of its value, down 106 today. What went wrong? Was it the taste? No. I mean, it does need a little spice up now and then. This is Old Bay, and Baltimore's looking pretty good, by the way. Look, Beyond Meat, frankly, oh, geez, when we got it, Beyond Meat never should have been that high in the first place. The stock peaked when the company reported a strong quarter, but also it announced a 3.25 million share secondary, including about 39,000 shares owned by the CEO, Ethan Brown, who's really a terrific guy, by the way. But you know what? Hey, this isn't about friends. It's about money. Yeah, and the lockup of the insider sales wasn't supposed to expire until the end of the month, so that was premature. Hey, I'm not taking any chances. Because Brown wanted everyone to win on this impromptu insider sale, he priced the secondary at 160 That was more than 60 bucks below where the stock had been trading. Discount. And they, they did win. Briefly, Beyond Meat popped back up to 169 soon after. You could have had a nice win if you were nimble enough to get in and get out. But since then, it steadily worked its way lower. Now, you could argue that the stock collapsed once we started hearing about the multiple competitors working on their own plant-based meat alternatives, including uh, Impossible Burger. Wow, hey, I love it. I have one. Nestle, mm, Hormel. Oh, I like the, I like the chicken the chicken figures there. And, and, uh, no, actually, I like the Tyson chicken figures. I had Hormel on, and I like the concept. Okay, all four of which have deeper pockets than Beyond Meat. However... That explanation makes this situation more complicated than it needs to be. You see, I think the additional shares, the, one, the ones that came deep in the hole at 160, that broke what's known as the tightness of what had been a vicious short squeeze. And it was a short squeeze that drove Beyond Meat's spectacular rise from 45 to 239 in, in just a couple of months. Why do I say that? 
because we've seen this story before. Beyond Meat's not the first fresh-faced company to come public with a rapid growth rate, a ton of hype, and far too few shares. If anything, it reminds me of... GoPro! (laughs) When GoPro came public in 2014, we heard this was more than just a body camera company. It was a whole ecosystem. The IPO price of $24 and one of the hottest deals in the era. And then the stock quickly soared to around $90 about four months later, thanks to a major short squeeze. Just like Beyond Meat, you couldn't locate any shares of GoPro to sell short before uh, you did so. And that's what causes the dramatic ramp up along with the overly excited retail buyers. You can't find stock. (laughs) I found it. But then also, just like Beyond Meat, the underwriters allowed the lockup on insider sales to expire earlier so that two of the founders could sell 5.8 million shares to a new foundation. The stock never recovered, swiftly falling to $38 a few months later. Sure, GoPro bounced back to around 66 a little bit, right? But then in the summer of 2015, uh, the, six months later, it was trading in the single digits. Oh, it's still a denizen of a, this is a... Shoot, this is a zinia. All right, anyway, I remember being in Hawaii when GoPro hit $90 on the way up. I had popped into a surfing store where I saw a video running of a goat wearing a GoPro on a surfboard. A goat! When I asked the clerk about it, she said, hey, listen, why not? Uh, they had just done a showing of a pig surfing with a GoPro on its head. To me, I mean, honest to God, I mean, me, really, a goat surfing on a pro uh, 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 with a GoPro? That was the closest thing to a bell going off that I ever can recall about a stock. I felt like we reached saturation point. I mean, there are only so many ways and places you can wear a GoPro that I know of. And I recommended selling a stock as soon as I returned from Hawaii. Of course, if the founders hadn't decided to sell a bunch of stock right then, I think it could have gone even higher. But the lockup expiration was inevitable. And as soon as it happened, GoPro was doomed. The whole move had been propped up by a short squeeze. So once there was more shares on the market from the lockup expiration, people could actually short the stock. They could find the stock and they could short it. And it came right back down. I think we're seeing the exact same thing with Beyond Meat. It's really happening, people. It is happening. The moral of the story, um, just building a little fortress here. The moral of the story, what matters in these situations isn't the fundamentals. If the numbers mattered, these stocks never would have gone that high in the first place. No, it wasn't until the new supply hit the market. Then that's when they peaked. That's what made the difference. And listen, I think Beyond Meat can go lower from here. Do you know that next week 48 million shares get unlocked? Do you know that's 80% of the share count? Will this money-losing company still be worth $6.7 billion if that lockup expiration? If the $3 stock that is GoPro, $3, is any guide, people will find stock. They will find stock to sell. They will short the stock. They will knock it lower. And so the answer is no. Hey, why don't we talk to Gary in Florida, Gary? Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah, Thank Gary. you for educating us all. Oh, I do uh, my Gary best. I try to make Sports. it interesting. Go ahead. All right. Reason for calling, I am calling because I'm in the house of pain. 40% down. The house J-M-I-A. Oh, uh, why? Gary, why? Why did you want to own that stock? Let's get out of that stock before it's too late. We got a stock market that's going down hand over fist because of something happened to Texas Instruments. Let's buy a little Bristol Mars. Go for stability over craziness. Let's go to Ronald in New York. Ronald. Hello. Ronald, how are you? 
I'm just one. Is this Jim? Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for taking the call, Jim. You provide a great service to the retail investors. So oh. let me tell you. Okay. About three months ago, I took a very small position in CrowdStrike. Since Why? then, it's been hammered. Why? So I don't know whether to sell it, to buy more, or to no, just sit No, Heather Bellini, one of my absolute favorite analysts at Goldman Sachs, she put a sell on CrowdStrike. Now, it's come down a lot. And I get that, but the whole sector, whether it be Palo Alto, Proof, Dead, CyberArk, oh my God, even even Heather Gaines' favorite Z-Scaler has been hurt. And Kramer family fave Okta has been hammered. We've got to wait until these stocks find a, more of a bottom. You'll see it when they bounce. And then I'm going to OK CrowdStrike. But right now, free for all, CrowdStrike, Google it, you see it. Run as fast as you can, people. When the bulls and bears say something's overvalued, like when it comes to Beyond Meat. Yeah, man, this stuff is just, well, I mean, you, you got to run fast. Okay, there's much more mad money ahead. How is the trade war impacting your video game habit? I'm going to sit down with the CEO of Logitech to find out more. Then there are more women CEOs of Fortune 500 companies than ever before. The grand total sits at a whopping 33 I'm talking to the founders of one investment firm that wants to make money and change that. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Since the president really ratcheted up trade tensions earlier this year, Wall Street's been worried about a host of industries that heavily rely on Chinese manufacturing, like electronics. But some companies have managed to defy the sector-wide weakness, which brings me to Logitech International, the maker of computer peripherals like keyboards and mice, along with headphones, mobile speakers, remote controls, and expensive high-end gaming equipment. After roaring hard for ages under the leadership of CEO Bracken Darrell, Logitech peaked a little over a year ago, and then it got hammered during the market-wide meltdown before bouncing right back in the first quarter. Then the trade war heated up, and since then, the stock's been flatlined. Now, last night, Logitech reported, and the results were okay. The company delivered an inline earnings on slightly weaker than expected sales, with strength in video collaboration and PC peripherals, allowing them to perform pretty well, despite a challenging environment. In response, the stock dipped a few cents, but look, it could have been a lot worse. Do not take it from me. Why don't we go to Bracken Dow? He's the president and CEO of Logitech International to get a better read on the quarter and the company's prospects. Mr. Dow, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it is so good to be back. Well, Bracken, I got to tell you, you're an upbeat fellow, and I've always shared your optimism and your constructive nature. But here we go. You say this quarter we delivered great numbers, video collaboration. We continue to perform in spite of the challenging macro environment. Come on. Your stuff, your stuff transcends that nonsense, doesn't it? It does. You know, we, we, had, uh, we grew 6% overall, but we grew 60% in our, in our video collaboration business, 6% in our, VC cla- VC, in our uh, PC business. So, yeah, we had a good, solid quarter, and, uh, despite the macroeconomic noise. Now, I look at the revenue line of video collaboration. We've got to start, start talking a lot more about this. You know what? I feel a lot of times, Bracken, we've come and we looked at, we've looked at your great mice. We know that you have low latency. Yep. We've looked at your fabulous speakers. I know I bought them. I've also bought the Jaybirds. This is the video collaboration. You're coming in how much underneath the big guys and, to me, easily assembled and ready, uh, ready to roll. Yeah, you know, we, we enable, uh, you know, Zoom or Microsoft or Google, whatever video service you want, 
we come in at really about the cost of a couple of chairs in a conference room, and you can video enable the room, and you can pay for that by saving one trip to, to Europe or China. So well, it's I mean, an incredibly affordable. It's go ahead one tenth. To answer your question, one tenth the cost of the or one twentieth the cost of those those video conference uh, systems of yesteryear. Well, don't you have to to given the fact that. Uh, cheap value quality always wins in the end. Will we be speaking about Logitech as a video collaboration company that also has interesting gaming and uh, peripherals? <laughs> well, you know, maybe. I mean, this has gone from zero seven years ago to it's 10% of our total company. As you said, it's grow- it grew 60% this quarter. So it's going to be a big business for us. We think one day this will be a billion-dollar business. Well, I mean, that would be remarkable because not that long ago, if you had a number in gaming that was not blowout versus even last year's comparison because of Fortnite, I would say Logitech's going to go down. Your, your number was uh, distorted by how strong Fortnite was last year. And I said, oh, boy, is this stock going to get hit? It was just the opposite. People recognizing that you've got a game plan that's far more than peripherals. Yeah, I mean, we are really a, a portfolio of businesses. You know, gaming, we have gaming, we have businesses in gaming, we have businesses now in video collaboration, we have businesses in PC peripherals, we have businesses in music, earphones, so we really are a peripheral, we're a portfolio of, of peripherals for cloud for cloud services, and, and, uh, and that gives us a lot of strength, even in ups and downs of different individual markets. Well, we got to talk China. I know you put some price increases through. How difficult is it, is it for you to navigate China? Because some of the companies we've been dealing with, like Hasbro, they really got beat up this quarter. This was the one where the retailers didn't know what to do. It seems like that the end markets, and you've got some powerful end markets, they're all a little confused by the tariffs. Yeah, you know, China has, we've been in China for 25 years. Uh, we've been manufacturing in China. We have a great market in China. You know, it's our number two uh, sales market in the world. So we've, we've uh, as the tariffs have gone through, we've done everything we could to really manage our supply chain to, to just go after straight lower cost reductions, mm-hmm. raise prices where we needed to in the U.S., and, occasion, and we've made some moves in to, to factories outside of China. So it's really been a concerted effort to set ourselves up to mitigate the tariffs. Now, are you trying aggressively, like the president wants, to get out of China, or is it just kind of slow and steady? You're doing okay. No need to to uh, to leave a country that's been so good to you. Well, you know, we 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 we're attacking this in a in a collection of ways. We do have some exits from China, but we also have some other uh, methods to lower our costs, and then and we've raised prices in some places. Now, you've got a lot of consumer uh, goods that don't have to be bought. For instance, I love your speakers. They, you can sink them. You knock them in the water, unlike my cell phone, and it's fine. I mean, these, these are terrific, <laughs> terrific kind of fun gifts. I always give your stuff as gifts. Uh, how's the consumer? Absolutely. They still buying? Yeah, they're still buying. You know, the, uh, generally speaking, I think, you know, uh, we're, we're, the cool thing about our business is we're, we're sort of uh, – Resistant to the normal recession or, or, mm-hmm. or, or things that might have, might affect other companies because our price points are relatively low. They're super giftable. It's that time of the year, so right. please do buy. And then even where we really have higher prices, they're relatively speaking, like in video conferencing, low. So and they actually save you so much money that you can save money as a company if you just video enable rooms and don't fly. All right. Now, uh, last question. We are still seeing an explosion, correct, in uh, esports, e-gaming, young people getting involved, gaming parlors. I know that the big casino companies are anxious to do it. A lot of the stadiums are doing it. Still early innings? Still early innings. You know, this is I get I get a message or a call every week or two or three 
from colleges or high schools that are putting in gaming programs. It's starting wow. with, you, with young people and it's moving up. And, you know, it's, gonna, it's going everywhere. I wouldn't be confused by the Fortnite effect. Underneath that, the secular trend is absolutely still going strong. Well, your stock's up nicely this year. I think it should keep going up. I want to thank Brack and Daryl, Logitech's president and CEO, and, by the way, chief innovator, because there's a lot of cool stuff here. And money's back yet to the break. <laughs> it is time! It is time for the Labor and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate that it's over the lightning round because I'm gonna start with Max in Florida. Max! How you doing, Jim? Max, I'm having a good day. How about you? I'm having an alright day so far, but two questions for you. I invested in IQ last year, about a year and a half ago, when it was at forty two dollars a share. Unfortunately, that's about the time it peaked. It's now at fifteen fifty a share right now. <laughs> A Chinese video entertainment company. Don't you have enough problems with Netflix? Why do we need a Chinese Netflix? What we do like is Disney with that tremendous tie-up with, with Verizon that we talked about this very money, money, well, money on Squawk on the Street. How about we go to Alyssa in Pennsylvania? Alyssa. Hello, Jim. Thank you for all you do. Booyah. <laughs> Booyah I- back. <laughs> I'm uh, just asking about uh, TE connectivity. I'm a long-time holder, and I'm just wondering what you think. I think you should stay a long-time holder. I think that's an absolutely terrific, never-talked-about company. Just kind of out there making money, engineered products. It's really, uh, you know, it's got a a nice combination of uh, manufacturing and software. Why don't people talk about it? I guess because it was a spinoff, and that's why they don't. Good call. Way to go. Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Is my company a buy? Westrock Company. All right. Westrock missed uh, missed a bunch of quarters in a row. It does have a good yield. It was too connected to the possibility. I thought it was more of an Amazon play. Lost money for it. My travel trust yields 4.8. Here's the good news. The good news is that when I was pulling up with some some soda executives the other day, they hate calling it that carbonated, uh, they are all thinking about using the West Rock uh, ring instead of the plastic rings. The bad news is there's still too much capacity in that industry. I think it's dead money for a bit. There's a long cycle coming. It's not starting yet. Jason in Arizona. Jason. Sam, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. How about you? Not bad. Hey, sunny Scottsdale, not a cloud in the sky. Can't complain. Okay. Yes. So, good. I, I do need some camera wisdom, though. All right. I have a position in a master limited partnership. Simple. M-P-L-S. Okay, it's one of the best, the best, but I absolutely hate the best, by the way, is Enterprise EPD. But I absolutely hate that group. Why? Because there is no growth. And when there's no growth, people sell. They'd rather have the growth of a, they'd rather the growth of a, of a Con Ed. They'd rather the growth of Dominion. They'd rather the growth of an AEP, a Southern. And there we go. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. In case you didn't get the memo, this is National Business Women's Week. So I want to spend some time highlighting female-led organizations in generally male-dominated industries, especially organizations that are working to empower other women, which brings me to Victris Capital. It's an early-stage venture capital firm that invests in consumer-oriented companies that are led by women. 
This isn't just about doing the right thing, people. It's, it's for profit. It's a for profit enterprise that will make money. There's still a lot of talent out there that's being squandered because of discrimination. But for Victress, that is the opportunity. Now, normally, I, I wait, want to ask a fund manager about their investments. And this is a venture capital fund, which means they're investing in early stage, privately held companies that some of them they can't really talk about. Let's get that straight. But let's take a closer look with Lori Cashman and Suzanne Norris, the founders and managing partners of Victress Capital. Learn more about what they're trying to do. Ms. Cashman and Ms. Norris, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. We're so excited to be here. Well, We're the same, a huge the same. fans of yours. And what I want to know, uh, it is the, uh, National Business Women's Week, and it's the type of thing, it bugs the heck out of me. Do you know, I didn't know about it until I heard you were being booked. And what that says to me is not enough awareness, but it may also say something institutionally about where our country is that you're helping to change. That's right. And this is something we care deeply about, and we really appreciate the opportunity to share more with you and your viewers. Um, we came together to form Victress around a shared passion to support women-led businesses. And the truth is that female founders do have a hard time accessing capital because there's a massive funding gap. While women start 40% of companies in this country, they receive only 3% of venture capital funding. And while sometimes this makes sense, right? Not every business right. deserves venture capital funding. But when we encounter a founder who sees a huge market opportunity, and she has a vision and a compelling business plan to execute around that vision, along with some early traction, we feel that that founder has a right to access that capital alongside anyone else. And we look at the statistics, we see that gender-diverse teams outperform their all-male counterparts on both top-line and bottom-line metrics. And so with that in mind, we came together to launch Victress to leverage our backgrounds, and to help these female founders access capital and support them as they grow. I started the street.com for a while. We owned a terrific company called Bordex and sold to your money. I did study after study myself about women-led or women-dominated boards or boards that had more women. Mm -hmm. The outperformance was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. How is it the empirical data shows that? And yet we have... 33 of the Fortune 500 are women, and women are still in very much minority in boards. Explain that to me if you're trying to make a profit. Well, it's a great question because you're right. The data across the board shows that whether you're a public company or a private company, if you have a gender-balanced team in the boardroom or at the management level, you will outperform top line and bottom line. You know, But it's hard. In, in our industry in venture capital, 75% of the venture capital firms out there still don't have a female partner. So... That is difficult. If you think of venture capital, we are making investments in early stage companies. We find those companies through our networks. Our networks are made with people that we either worked with or went to school with or we've um, you know, invested in. Right. And so those opportunities that come up are often homogeneous. And Lord, the, uh, no one gets your money unless they have a woman what, in prominence, in the management. Right. The first filter for us is that there has to be at least one female on that founding team. Mm -hmm. In 19 of the 20 companies that we've invested in so far, it's been a female founder uh, or female co-founders. Um, that's really the first lens that we look for. Of course, we look at all diversity measures, but, but gender being the first. In, in, in the meantime, when we look at different companies, Suzanne, we like talk about a somersault, mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of our staff, we have an almost all, <laughs> uh, an almost all female staff, and Regina Gilgis, executive producer. And we, you, well, you know why we do it? Because we pick the best people. That's why we do it. <laughs> That's right. And many of them have sampled uh, Daily Harvest and mm -hmm. like that. And uh, how do you get some visibility for these companies? Because they obviously are on the right track, uh, but it's early stage. How does an early stage company 
mean, uh, Instagram, uh, Snap, uh, Twitter? What do you do? Uh, great question. We think, you know, first they have to understand there's a huge opportunity or white space for that product. So take Somersault. Um, the two founders came together. They saw an opportunity to form a women's travel wear and swimwear company. There really wasn't a dominant brand in that space. So that founding team, one had deep expertise on the op side, one had deep expertise on the branding side. They came together, formed Somersault. They used technology to really get the perfect fitting suit. And then they launched to market. And they did speak with influencers. They had early customers. They proved that product fit. They've got great retention rates. And they've grown that company and done a great job of leveraging the fit and um, the appeal for the brand and what it stands for, which is empowering women and giving them clothes that make them feel great. Now, uh, I just spent a lot of time with Mark Benioff last week. He's the co-CEO of Salesforce, and he wrote a book called Trailblazers. Pretty amazing. Uh, I've always felt that he's a person who really understood the ethos, understood what's right. He was challenged directly by two women at his company that he said that, that said he was underpaying them. Sure enough, department by department, vice president, vice president. It was discrimination. Do you see it constantly? Uh, you know, I think we see it on the uh, as a funders on the venture firm side or in private equity firms. We do believe that. Um, Sometimes the metric that gets the most uh, focus and attention is, do you have a female partner? But what they don't do is they peel back and say, is the carried interest, is your compensation on par with your male counterparts? Mm -hmm. And we see that time after time, if women do take time off, um, you know, to to be at home with kids, Mm -hmm. that there's a real penalty that they pay for that. And you can never really get back on track once you give that up. Drives me crazy. If you're not a guy, well, you're no good. And if you... Uh, if you are a guy, well, you're pretending. I mean, <laughs> it, it, women are in a terrible spot in some ways. We've got to change it. You guys are trying to change it. Mm-hmm. We are. Well, I think you're going to have success. Because <laughs> you know why? Because you're making a profit. And that's, unfortunately or fortunately, is the best proof of what you're doing. We that's the proof agree. of concept. Yes. Yep. All yes. right. That's Lori Cashman and Suzanne Norris. I hope you like that as much as I do. The founders and managing partners of Victorious Capital for National Business Women's Week. All I can say is about time. Stick with Craig. Some big news tonight about three executives. First, Mark Parker, one of the greats, retiring from Nike. Second, John Donahoe, wow, from ServiceNow. You know we've liked him forever. He's moving up to take the reins at Nike. And then Bill McDermott, late of SAP, is going to come in to run ServiceNow. I want to congratulate all three gentlemen and uh, Mark Parker. Job well done. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here at Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you tomorrow. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence and some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.